You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. One thing we love about living in Colorado is its abundant wildlife. Now, along with the numerous outdoors and recreational activities that our furry friends allow us, there's also more sobering issues we have to deal with as a result in the likes of collisions and interactions on our roadways. Today on Colorado Outdoors, we're talking about a partnership between CPW and CDOT, which addresses those issues. It's called the I-25 Gap Project between Castle Rock and Monument. You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollar support. Well, we're talking I-25 Gap Project on Colorado Outdoors today. Joining us right now is Brandon Murat. He's the CPW Northeast Region Energy Liaison and Land Use Coordinator. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. This is really an exciting project that uh, you guys have been working there at I-25. Yes, it is, Mark, and thank you for having me on the podcast. You know, we've, we had limited data, I understand, about the movement on I-25. Kind of take us through the collection of that data, what it showed you, and the direction it led you when you guys were initially looking at this project. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the biologists out there, you know, they want to have collars on as many animals as possible, but obviously it's, it's cost prohibitive uh, to have it on, you know, uh, every herd across the state. And so uh, we have prioritized those herds with collars, but for this segment, there were no collars. And so we mm-hmm. had to piece together the data that is out there. And so between a combination of CDOT's maintenance crews picking up carcasses along this stretch, and also Colorado State Patrol. They have records as far as where the wildlife accidents were occurring. I also went back to our dusty cage uh, at 6060 Broadway and uh, dusted off some three-ring binders and just to digitize where the lions and bears uh, have been hit in this location. So between those three sources of data, we were able to develop what I was calling a hotspot map, and these are the areas in the mileposts that these animals were hit the most in this stretch of highway. Well, and you just touched on something that I think is is something that we're all learning about here in the state of Colorado with the influx of people. That certainly is a very busy area, and uh, it certainly has been a hotspot in recent years and and obviously drew your guys' attention, correct? Yes, absolutely. It's been on both CPW and CDOT's attention, and CPW biologists have been known for a long time that, you know, especially the area of Toma Road has really been a hot spot just to the local knowledge of the district wildlife managers. 
microbiologist. Well, how about trail cams? You were talking about all the different ways you guys are collecting data. I'm assuming trail cams are probably used in this as well? Yeah, absolutely. So with the hotspot data, that that shows us sort of the past, you know, what has been occurring as far as a given milepost that uh, wildlife are trying to cross. But we also wanted to bring some of the present uh, current activities for wildlife. Where are they occurring? Where are they not occurring? And so we can marry those with the past data, the hotspot data, to see, okay, where should we really prioritize these underpasses? Not uh, looking at the adjacent uh, landowners or those the topography features, just straight highway. You know, these are the hot spots, and these are where the animals are moving. And that gave us a list of locations where, hey, this is what we could bring to CDOTs. This is ideally where we'd like these underpasses to be located. You know, Brandon, I always chuckle, and, and, and I don't know if this was true or not. You probably saw it like we all did. It was floating around the Internet for quite a while. It was a woman who called in a radio station and complained about a deer crossing they put and said they should move the deer crossing someplace else so that the animals would cross in a different spot. And, and <laughs> it was it was fantastically funny. I have no idea if it was true or not. My point of bringing that up is you guys identified these hot spots, and, and from what I understand, it, and you've, you've done a great job of putting these underpasses in. Is, are there still one or two kind of along that corridor there you have not been able to address at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So of the five locations, there is still one near the Toma Road where the land use and the topography and with the off-ramps, it just made it unavailable essentially for wildlife feasible, I should say, to construct it. It would be very expensive to construct. And so the I-25 South Gap project is just one part of the whole I-25 PEL. So that will be one area that we continue to look at with the wildlife sensing and future use of wildlife throughout the corridor. The, these underpasses, uh, I'd imagine they're, they're pretty substantial in size. Uh, elk, maybe in particular, can be a little bit hesitant uh, to squeeze through too tight a space, I would think, out there. Well, tell me about kind of the preparation and the thought that went into to make sure that the animals were very comfortable going through these underpasses. Yeah, absolutely. And we pour through literature and, and we're trying to see, you know, what is the threshold for elk to use them? And so it, it was a fine balance of CDOTs like, hey, Brandon, we can't have 20-foot-high underpasses because we're going to have to really build up the highway, and then you're going to have all these raises in the road that that's not okay for semis and sure. all other vehicles that go across. The highway needs to be really level. So we're very limited by the existing topography. And so we looked at that, and so that's why we came up with somewhere around 14 feet tall. And elk have been very hesitant. They are the most hesitant of the creatures to use underpasses. Black bear and other predators like mountain lions in the area, they'll use really small underpasses. Uh, like you mentioned, the Highway 9, there's the small culverts are along I-25. There's some that I could barely fit through, but some of the trail camps that we have uh, did show that um, bear are using these small underpasses. So we weren't concerned about the predators. We're more concerned about the elk because those are the problem child. Those are the ones that we want to keep off the highway. I wonder about the herds in that area. I guess, you know, we think here in the state of Colorado, you think elk, you think high country, uh, especially, you know, getting into this time of year, everything moving up a little bit. Uh, I, I'm wondering, are the herds in that area, do they pretty much stay down in that area, or are they, they coming up into the high country? Yeah, and that, that's a great question. And these are not a seasonal migratory herd in the sense that they don't go all the way up to the Pike National Forest, which is adjacent to the Douglas County open space there. They can, they do have that ability, but for the most part, 
both the deer and elk populations are resident herds, and they may move to complete their daily needs, whether it's water or certain calving areas. But for the most part, they are just resident herds. So you guys were working hand-in-hand with CDOT here in the state of Colorado, and and it's kind of an interesting uh, partnership there. I'd imagine you both have the same, uh, I guess, focus and uh, hopeful outcome of these projects like this, taking care of the wildlife and making sure all the drivers are safe, correct? Yes. So CDOT has been a fabulous partner, and so we actually started to collaborate on this project a year or two before the governor came up with the Executive Order 2019 11 that uh, encouraged CDOT and CPW to get together. And so even though CDOT focuses on roads and we focus on wildlife, both agencies really focus on human safety. And, you know, we talk about underpasses, but it's a little bit more than that. There's a lot of fencing that is involved in this project as well, correct? (laughs) Yes, there is. Absolutely. And so it's a full mitigation system because it may be difficult for some wildlife species to find the underpasses, so we have to route them there. And we looked in current literature, and literature states that, you know, ideally, if, you know, assuming money wasn't an issue, you'd have an underpass every mile and a half. And so while we appreciate that CDOT has had these five underpasses for wildlife, you know, there are going to be stretches that wildlife can have to move further than, than they want, but that's why it's important for the fencing and also jump outs. If wildlife do find a way to get on the highway, that they can jump out of the highway right away and back into the habitat areas. And lastly here, uh, this I-25 project, uh, when you think statewide, this is just a small piece of the puzzle, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. We're excited about talking about the rest of I-25 up to Lone Tree and see what we can do there to help protect motorists and wildlife, have those safe movements uh, that they need to get from point A to point B. But, yeah, there's a lot of uh, interest in both local and state and federal as far as for wildlife movement, especially for big game winter ranges and, and, and migration routes. And so I'm a part of the East Slope and Plains Wildlife Prioritization Study that we're looking not only at I-25 South, but everything east of the Continental Divide. Where are the, high par- where are the other hotspots that wildlife and humans are coming into this uh, conflict with their vehicles? Yeah, we hope to have a prioritized list or at least our first one, hopefully this December. Well, it's a wonderful project and a never-ending project as the work that we'll continue. Brad, we appreciate the time here on Colorado Outdoors. Yeah, I appreciate your time today, Mark. Well, we continue talking about the I-25 Gap Project between Castle Rock and Monument. Joining us now is Chuck Catardo. He's a CDOT I-25 South Corridor Environmental Manager. Chuck, welcome to the podcast, first off. And secondly, kind of give us some background on how this project even got underway. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, appreciate you having me today. Well, so when we talk about the I-25 Gap project, um, it's it's really it's, it's an 18-mile bottleneck on I-25 uh, between Monument and Castle Rock. Um, on either end, for those of you who are familiar, listeners are familiar. Um, you got six and eight lanes of interstate, um, you know, in the Colorado Springs area, and uh, through the you know north of Castle Rock into the Denver Tech Center Tech Center area. And then in this 18-mile gap, you've got four lanes of interstate. Um, it's, a, it's a bottleneck, and we've been talking for years about fixing it. I remember 2002 doing some I-25 planning, and at that time we were talking about trying to get it fixed. I also remember in 2008, um, the regional transportation director, then my boss, telling me when he retired, hey, Chuck, this I-25 
section south of Castle Rock. It's the next big project. And we had it, we, honestly, Mark, we had it on our transportation plans for years and years. And because of our funding woes, CDOT's funding woes, we haven't been able to figure it out a way to get it funded. And that all started to change. Um, in 2015 and 16, uh, you may remember that we had two state troopers killed in the I-25 Gap Corridor, Trooper Jurcevic and Trooper Donahue. Um, also, about the same time, then Governor Hickenlooper is, is saying, you know, the I-25 South Gap area, that's my number one priority on my transportation agenda. Mm-hmm. And that goes a long way when the governor camp comes out and says it's his number one priority, right? We're, we're also seeing, you know, the economy starting to turn around 2016-17, and we're starting to see a lot of residential development in the North Colorado Springs area and Monument area. In fact, Monument, um, I haven't checked recently, but um, when I used to give presentations to them, they're one of the fastest growing towns in Colorado. Um, And that's because there's attractive places to live there. But guess what? They're still driving. Most of those people are still driving to the Denver Tech Center and even to downtown Denver for their jobs. And so we, we continue to see these these safety problems, including wildlife collisions, incident management problems. And what I mean by that are when you have an accident out there on the gap, it was so narrow, so tight, that we couldn't get emergency vehicles to people. And once we did finally get them there, we weren't able to clear people through the accident. There wasn't enough room, Mm. physical space, right? So we have safety problems, incident management problems, mobility problems. We don't have any transit options out there. So people don't have any choices. And then finally, travel reliability problems. I would hear at some of these public meetings, hey, Chuck, I don't know if it's going to be 30 minutes for me to get through the gap or three hours. And then I'd also have people come up to me and say, you know what, I never made it out of there. I got stranded in a snowstorm. You know, so you have the gamut of this stuff. It was just a mess. And so this all starts to turn around for all these reasons. And in the fall of 2016, we start CDOT, in conjunction with the Federal Highway Administration, starts what is called a Planning and Environmental Linkage Study, a PEL, all right? And this is a tool given to all the states by the Federal Highway Administration, and it, doesn't not, it does not get you to construction, okay? Um, but what it does allow um, Department of Transportation to do is identify the problems talk to the public, get with elected officials and get their input about the corridor, start to develop solutions based on what you hear those problems, right? And, and then prepare cost estimates. Essentially what it does is it gets you ready to get out of that gate quick in case construction funding comes to your project. Because technically, CDOT is not allowed to start, a pro- start developing a project in earnest until we've identified the construction funding, okay? So we're doing these PELs to try to get us ahead. However, in May 2017, we get a huge nudge. There's a huge chunk of money that comes from the passage of state uh, of the Senate Bill 267, a state of Colorado bill that essentially, I don't want to get into details about this and bore your listeners, but it identifies a bunch of um, one-time sort of injection of funding for CDOT. 
And in the and so we know by May 2017 we got a good chunk of the funding there, okay. And then we start to take a little bit of a risk. We see, you know, over the past six months or so, the momentum building that these problems are terrible. That El Paso and Douglas County, um, that all the cities and towns um, are on board with getting something done. And we take a little bit of a risk and we start to act like this project's going to get funded. And what we do in, in the summer of 2017 is we spend a little money and we start to put out these game cameras. And I think Brandon may talk about this a little bit more. And we set these action um, um, triggered game cameras throughout the gap. And the purpose of the game cameras is to see if we can determine a pattern of wildlife movement. There's, there's elk, there's deer, there's bear, there's mountain lion, there's even bighorn sheep in the corridor. And we're trying to figure out if we can, you know, see where they're going, where they're trying to cross I-25 from the west to the east side. And what we find out is there's no real set pattern, okay? We see a little bit more activity in the Larkspur area, and we see a little bit more activity in the Monument Hill area, but we see it. We also see a ton of activity in between Monument and Larkspur. All right, mm. that actually works in our favor. Okay, and I want to get into this a little bit. This is a really good part of the story. So we we set these game cameras up, and then we start to hold these workshops. Again, we're we're starting to act like we're going to get construction funding, and we're going to go to construction soon. So we're, we're getting serious about this. So we hold, start holding these workshops. And it's the biologists from um, CPW, from CDOT, from Douglas County. Um, Fish and Wildlife is there. Um, and then they're on one side of the room. And the other side of the room is all our engineering staff and our decision makers. Okay? And this is really important because what we're starting to see is the funding that's becoming available is going to be about $350 million, which I'm, I'm sure sounds like a lot um, to, to many of the listeners here. But in order to totally reconstruct the 18-mile gap corridor, that's more like a $900 million project. Mm -hmm. and let, me let me tell you about the difference in those two. When you totally reconstruct a section of highway, you're able to flatten out curves, both vertical and horizontal. So Steep hills, you can make less steep. Um, um, tight turns, you can make less tight. You're able to fix all the drainage, all right? You essentially rip up the interstate and build a new one in its place. We didn't have enough money to do that. That's about a $900 million project. Okay. We're thinking we're going to get about 350 So what we decide to do is use as much as we can that's already there and use the $350 million to fix our safety, incident management problems, mobility problems, and travel reliability problems. Um, we do actually reconstruct a, a small portion at Greenland um, because there was no way we could figure out how to do just add on and make that better. We already had trucks going through a, a culvert there underneath the interstate, and it was so tight in there that they were scraping mirrors on both sides. All right, So we essentially had to rip all that up and redo it. But for most of the 18-mile corridor, we're sort of adding on and making it better and not totally reconstructing it. So what does that mean for the wildlife? Well, you just can't plop these 
underpasses in. That's the main form mitigation we're looking at here. These, these 18 foot high by 100 foot long underpasses for elk, deer, bear, mountain lion, and other species, anywhere you want, because there's not enough room. Um, there's just not enough room to dig under the interstate and create a hole that big, okay? And so you got the biologists on one side of the room telling the engineers, this is where we would like the underpasses. And the engineer's saying, uh, you know, I ran a, a, a plan and profile in that section, and we can't quite squeeze it in there. What if we move it a tenth of a mile to the south? Will that do for you? And for three or four of these workshops, that beautiful banter is going back and forth with 30, 35 people in the room, and we finally decide on five locations, okay? And the five locations are uh, just on the south side of Monument Hill, so they're right there in Monument, El Paso County, that's one. And that underpass is actually a little bit smaller. That's a 50-foot um, by about 50-foot long by about 16-foot high um, opening, okay? And um, for two reasons. We didn't have enough room to big, put in a huge 100-foot um, opening there. But also, we know that that area is primarily being used by black bear, excuse me, and um, mule deer. Okay, so these species in particular are okay with a little bit of a smaller opening, all right? And so we decide to spend the money for an underpass there. That's, that's number one. I'm going south, south and north on this. Go over Monument Hill as you're going to the north um, and go about a mile north of Monument Hill, that's another one. Now, this is a big one, 18, we're talking 18 foot high by 100 foot long, um, brand new underpass in that area. Go a little bit further to the north, and you get into sort of the Greenland area, if people are familiar with that, um, and you have um, an underpass, um, again, a big one, 18 by about 100 in that area, all right? Um, you also have one, if people remember the old rest area, all right, we were able to punch one through in there as well, a big one, all right? Um, and um, I'm forgetting, oh, there's two, two at Greenland there that are big ones, and then one at the rest area, and that's four. And so the fifth one is actually an existing site, okay? It's where I-25 crosses over East Plum Creek near the Larkspur exit, what we call Spruce Mountain Road, okay? That one was already about 100 feet, and we and on our cameras, we were able to document a lot of movement going through there. But because we, we saw that that was an important area, and because we actually needed to do some floodplain improvements in that area as well, we are able to double the size of that opening. So it's about a 300-foot um, long opening in that area where before it's a, it was about 150 foot, all right? So five total underpasses, all right? The, the, the underpasses don't work by themselves. It's important for the listeners to know that you have to have a wildlife mitigation system. And with the underpasses, you have to add fencing, all right? So we have about 28 miles of, of eight-foot fence. Um, that's about 14 miles on both sides by 25 um, to funnel wildlife into these underpass areas, all right? And then we have also 22 what we call deer guards going in. And these guards act like cattle guards. So there's, there's some openings in the fence, especially around like interchanges and driveways, 
So if you can picture you're at the Greenland interchange or another interchange in that area, those ramps that are feeding Greenland, that side road, there's really no way to fence across that, right? Sure. Um, without restricting traffic. So you got to put in these guards, and that prevents large mammals from crossing um, into the area, um, which is really part of the interstate, okay? So we have 22 of these guards going in. The guards are about 80% effective, 90% effective, depending on what research you look at. So because we know there's going to be deer, elk, other animals getting into the interstate from time to time, we don't expect a lot, we also are constructing 63 escape ramps, okay? And these are essentially little ramps on the interstate side in case a man will get stuck in there. They can climb these ramps and get over the fence to the safe side. Okay, so the wildlife mitigation system is these underpasses, five underpasses, the fence, the guards, and the escape ramps, and they all work in conjunction. conjunction. We think with this system that we're going to reduce wildlife vehicle collisions by 90%. Wow. Um, that's, what, that's what I told the governor, all right? Um, and if we are su successful, the system is going to pay for itself in 12 to 15 years, absolutely pay for itself. And that's what we're excited about. Well, it's a great project, and obviously, as you talked about, in 2019, when the governor signed that executive order, that was a huge uh, benefit, obviously, to really get this thing moving. You know, anytime you have a great project, Chuck, you've got to have a, a, a ribbon cutting, right? Tell me about that. Yeah, we're so uh, the, the good news is is that the pro, we have a great contractor in um, Kramer of North America. We have a great designer um, in Jacobs, and the Jacobs and Kramer working together with CDOT and Federal Highway and Douglas County and El Paso County and all the stakeholders, it looks like we're going to have most of the project done, most of it constructed by this fall. So November time frame is what we're thinking, all right, including the wildlife mitigation system part of it. And that is going to probably allow us to have a ribbon cutting for the wildlife mitigation part. Um, and we're looking at, uh, you know, this is where we don't have the date exactly set yet, but we're hearing from our executive director that um, she would like to do it in um, September, October, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, we're also talking about, well, if we're done with the whole project, you know, um, by, by next fall, by, by fall 2022 is when we'll be officially done. Should we just wait till then? So those are the two things being talked about, but we're definitely having a ribbon cutting to celebrate all the successes we've had with this wildlife mitigation system and everybody who's been involved with it that, have, that has just made it a great thing. Chuck, how, how about identifying other places across the state uh, of high priority like this? I mean, is that process taking place as well? Yeah, um, not quite as complicated as the gap. Um, because, again, like I said, we, we had to you know, squeeze these things in where we, we could fit them. So there was a lot of engineering and a lot of construction maneuvering to make that happen. But there's some great projects, incredible projects. People may be familiar with the State Highway 9 project that's north of Kremlin, or I mean north of Silverthorne and south of Kremlin. Okay. Um, that's receiving all kinds of attention right now because they did do research as part of that, and they have shown that there's a, um, at least a 90% reduction in wildlife vehicle collisions with two overpasses um, and five underpasses. I think I got that right. 
Um, so that's a big one. Um, there's a ton of great stuff going on in the southwest part of the state with US 160 and 550. Um, they've already constructed a bunch of underpasses on 160. They're looking at two overpasses now um, as part of that project. Um, I think they're actually on 550. Um, and Tony Cady, who is, has been taking on a major role statewide with this stuff, is sort of in charge with that. Um, I'm trying to think. So we have a big project coming up on I-70. We're trying to get the I-70 mountain corridor cranking back up again. Okay. And there's um, two um, crossing, wildlife um, crossings that have been identified as part of construction on I-70 near Floyd Hill. I'm pretty sure, I think the team is pretty sure, that they're going to be overpasses. Um, they're still trying to figure that out. Um, we are working with, um, or I know from being involved statewide on some of this stuff, that um, our Pueblo, CDOT's Pueblo office is working on a very large project on I-25 near the New Mexico border. Mm. And that's um, trying to get some construction funding right now for underpasses, for fencing, for the guards, and everything I mentioned that we did on the gap. Um, so this is all gaining huge momentum throughout our state. You mentioned the executive order, Mark. Um, that was one thing that really kick-started us. Um, but there's also been a, a USD Department of Interior Secretarial order. Um, and there is um, a CDOT CPW MOU that, have, that has come out of the governor's executive order. And then most recently, there was a joint Senate resolution um, just a couple months ago um, and all of them stress the need to protect wildlife and make it more safe for Colorado drivers. Nice. Well, you know, and you, as we talk about the gap here, and you, you mentioned the I-25 Pell and, and the fencing there uh, going along that stretch as well, that, that kind of leads into the East Slope study. What, what can you tell me about that? Yeah. So with all of these, you know, resolutions, executive orders, it was pretty clear to CDOT and CPW that we start, we better start developing a list of statewide priorities. And this list needs to be based on science. Okay, we just can't come out and say, you know, we think this is a great area. I mean, because Mark, the Gap Wildlife Mitigation System is about, was about $20 million to construct. All right, these things are not cheap. So we better have some sound reasons for why we're recommending certain priorities, right? And so that all started with the West Slope Wildlife Mitigation Priority Study. And that, that study finished in um, May, it was either April or May 2019. And it identified all of the wildlife mitigation priorities for the West Slope. So we're talking from the Continental Divide and Colorado West. Um, after that was finished, we were able to scrounge up more money and start the East Slope study. And by the way, Tony Cady, who I mentioned before, he's in charge. He was in charge of the West Slope study, um, with with also a great partnership with CPW. So the East Slope study starts in um, uh, late summer, early fall, 2020. I'm actually leading that with Travis Black. So Travis Black is. Um, works for CPW in the southeast region, um, and we're due to finish that in December, a couple months from now, December 2021. So now you have the West Slope study, you have the East Slope study, 
And now you have a fairly clear picture of what the state's wildlife mitigation priorities are um, from a study that's based on science. And what we did is, um, and, and Julia Kinch and Pat Basing, who are consultant managers on this, deserve a lot of credit. We were able to build a fairly complicated model and fed all what we thought were the important variables into the model. What, why does wildlife important, important and what makes a road safe? So there's both CDOT sort of variables in there and CPW variables in there. And the model has, um, takes all that information and crunches it and then tells us where our highest priorities are in the state. Chuck, tell me a little about the, the Colorado Wildlife Transportation Alliance and how that kind of plays into this equation. Mark, they are vital to this whole equation. Um, you know, we talked about Governor Polis's executive order. Um, we talked about the U.S. Department of Interior secretarial order, CDOT and CPW's MOU, the Joint Senate Resolution, all these things that talk about how important it is um, to preserve the state's wildlife and to make it safer for drivers. Well, all of those things sort of um, trust the Colorado Wildlife and Transportation Alliance with developing our state's priorities for wildlife mitigation. And what they're going to do is, and, and they're mentioned by name in all of these documents, um, what they're going to do is they're going to take the results of the West Slope study and the East Slope study, and they're going to sort of work with CDOT and CPW. Really, the alliance is made up of CDOT and CPW people, as well as Pew, um, Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, Rocky Mountain Elk, Mule Deer, ARC, a bunch of, of organizations, but mainly CPW and CDOT. And they're going to take those recommendations, and they're going to come up with a statewide recommendation, not an East Slope and West Slope recommendation, but a statewide recommendation. And so that is their purpose. And right now, because all this, this wave is all hitting us in the last two, three years, right, um, the, the, the alliance is getting their feet together, their feet under them, and right now is determining um, their governance, governance, essentially, how are they going to vote on the statewide priorities, and who is going to be a part of that vote? Um, and we, and I'm a part of the alliance, as well as a bunch of other folks I mentioned in, in the, the interview. Um, we should have our governments figured out by December, um, and we, our main um, purpose is to make sure we're ready, because there looks like there is funding coming down for wildlife mitigation as part of the federal transportation bill. There's going to be funding available in numerous grants that are coming our way. And there may even be state sources of funding because of the emphasis that Governor Polis has given um, on, on wildlife and transportation. So again, the alliance plays a pivotal role. They're going to be selecting the state's priorities to get funding. Well, it's a great partnership between CDOT and CPW, and uh, ultimately it's keeping drivers and animals safe. Gr great stuff, Chuck. This is kind of exciting news here for the state of Colorado. We appreciate you joining us here in Colorado Outdoors. Hey, Mark, I really appreciate it, too. Anytime we get the chance to get the word out, that just helps us. Our thanks to Chuck Catardo, CDOT I-25 South Corridor Environmental Manager, and Brandon Morant, CPW Northeast Region Energy Liaison and Land Use Coordinator, talking about the I-25 Gap Project between Castle Rock and Monument.
a wonderful partnership between CPW and CDOT, which addresses human and animal safety along one of our busiest roadways here in the state of Colorado. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960-plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.